Good afternoon, listeners. Welcome to another podcast by Fulcrum, which is a commentary and analysis website published by the IC's Yusuf Ishak Institute. Today, we have with us uh, two researchers from the Institute. We have Ms. Mo Tuza, who is the coordinator for the Myanmar Studies Program here at the Institute, and Ms. Sharon Sia, who is the coordinator of the ASEAN Studies Centre. I'm William Chung. I'm the uh, senior fellow here at the Institute and managing editor of Fulcrum. So today, the, the topic of discussion will be on a topic that is dear to many people in ASEAN is on the topic of Myanmar. As uh, many of you know, uh, since uh, February this year, there's been a, a, a series of events that's happening happened in Myanmar that is of concern uh, to people not only in Southeast Asia but beyond. There was a historic coup in the country in February and there has been subsequent protests by various groups of people in Myanmar and a crackdown by the military junta. In February, the 10-member ASEAN grouping came out with a five-point consensus on what should be done about Myanmar. And in August, uh, there was a special envoy that was appointed. Uh, he's the second Minister for Foreign Affairs, Dato Erwan Pehin Yusof, and he's uh, been appointed to be the special envoy to Myanmar. And so this podcast will explore some of the political landscape that Dato Erwan will have to traverse as he baits in into his role and what are some of the challenges and opportunities for ASEAN uh, in the months ahead uh, in the lead up to the, the November meeting, ASEAN meetings uh, in, in November. So I'll just start off with uh, uh, kind of a short uh, recap. Uh, we want to provide you with a short recap uh, or kind of highlights of what has happened since uh, February. Maybe we can ask uh, Mo to, to give us a, a recap of the highlights. Thank you, William. And thanks for having me on this podcast to talk about um, talk about this topic that seizes the, the region very much because, you know, it's happening in a in a country that is part of Southeast Asia and it is a member of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations and what happens in one member state, of course, um, affects the, the way the whole regional cooperation machinery uh, moves along, even in these difficult and uncertain times that the pandemic has placed on us. So what's happened in Myanmar since um, 1st of February when the military seized power? Um, I'll, I'll probably try to give a very quick rundown with uh, with reference to uh, ASEAN's responses and statements as well, just to kind of like, you know, keep us on the topic of uh, Myanmar and ASEAN, ASEAN and Myanmar. So ASEAN, um, I think, was one among the earliest issuing a statement um, after the coup took place. So that first ASEAN statement on February the 2nd, if I recall correctly, um, there was already reference to, um, to, to, the, uh, to the principles of the ASEAN Charter, you know. Uh, uh, that was a message, of, uh, I, I believe, that was sent to the, uh, the junta, the State Administration Council, as they call themselves, uh, in Myanmar, uh, which highlighted the ASEAN Charter principles of, you know, the, you know adhering to the principles of democracy, uh, rule of law, good governance, uh, respect for and protection of human rights and fundamental freedoms. So, so that was um, the, the first ASEAN uh, collective voice, so to speak, uh, on the situation in Myanmar. But, you know, as you observed in your introductory remarks, William, things escalated um, really quickly on the ground in Myanmar. Um, the civil disobedience movement, uh, by the acronym CDM, as we refer to it these days, started um, a couple of days after the coup uh, by, by a group of uh, 70 or so uh, medical workers. Uh, protesting against uh, uh, the the military's um, actions, uh, uh, you know, in the midst of a pandemic. So, um, protests on the street started uh, from Mandalay, February the fourth. It soon became nationwide across uh, all the townships, and 
let's see, the committee on uh, the committee representing the Pidanzu Hluto or CRPH was formed the 5th of February. And, uh, you know, that's, that's after uh, about 70 or so um, members of parliament elects had taken an oath uh, to, uh, to, to live up to the people's mandate and continue serving the five-year term for which they had been elected with the uh, nationwide elections in uh, November 2020. So, so that's CRPH. Um, and, and that was happening in the first week of the coup. Things really started getting very real, very grim, very fast because the military fired the first shot on February the 9th um, in, to, a, to a group of young protesters in Nepido. And the young lady, Miyadatoekain, died of her head wounds uh, 10 days later. Incidentally, that was the day that, uh, um, you know, uh, I, I think uh, uh, there were, well, there were other developments uh, taking place as well. Um, but I would just like to highlight that that was when the first shot was uh, fired. Um, and uh, the day before, uh, the military had imposed a curfew. Um, Senior General Min Aung gave his uh, first live speech where he was trying to uh, differentiate that what the SAC was doing would be different from the past and committing to uh, continue with the foreign policy, the economic policy and the government policies of the uh, National League for Democracy uh, administration. Um, and then uh, I think the grim reality really became uh, much more vivid to the region at large when the military tried to break the uh, shipyard protests in Mandalay. They shot into the crowd. And I recall that um, Singapore issued a statement at that time condemning this action. So the day after that, uh, the CRPH, the committee representing the People's Luta, uh, formed a cabinet and, and a kind of acting cabinet uh, with uh, four persons uh, taking up uh, multiple uh, portfolio responsibilities. Later on in February, uh, I think around the February to the 26th, State Administration Council annulled the 2020 election results. And two days later, uh, I think... Um, we were all taken by surprise when uh, Myanmar's ambassador to the United Nations, Mr. John Motun, uh, made that public, publicly defiant uh, statement, um, uh, de uh, you know, declaring himself uh, for, uh, for the side of uh, democracy, for, for upholding the 2020 election results. And um, basically, uh, after that, the military junta uh, dismissed him and charged him with high treason. And, uh, well, then March, you know, uh, the CRPH declared the SAC a terrorist organization. And, and on March the 2nd, we had, um, when all of this was happening in Myanmar, on March the 2nd, we had the uh, ASEAN ministerial meeting on Myanmar. And uh, the protesters in, in uh, Yangon were all, I think, uh, calling on ASEAN to, to, uh, to intervene. And, you know, uh, the, the way that the protests were taking place, these were peaceful unarmed protests. They knew how to go and, um, uh, you know, put their message placards uh, in front of the uh, various ASEAN missions in Yangon. And uh, they were also aware that uh, Brunei was uh, the chair of ASEAN. So, you know, there would be these uh, protesters with messages, specific messages to ASEAN written on, in English on their placards um, in front of the various ASEAN missions uh, in Yangon. Um, and, and so uh, the, that was the kind of uh, thing that was happening. Uh, I, and I think uh, any attempt that ASEAN made uh, for shuttle diplomacy, for trying to uh, talk to or meet with um, the SAC uh, as, as, you know, the perpetrator of what had happened to, to get a sense of accountability, uh, on the ground, the protesters, I think, really viewed this as, you know, ASEAN's engaging with, um, with, with the junta, with, with the military and... Uh, why not with uh, the forces for democracy? Um, and so in April, then what happened was the uh, the CRPH released this uh, federal democracy charter that uh, was supposed to kind of provide the political roadmap towards uh, towards the the, the future uh, of of uh, of what the uh, the anti coup uh, resistance movement, the forces for democracy, wished to see, and. Um, then uh, the appointment of the National Unity Government by the CRPH, uh, that was on the 16th of April. By that time, uh, there was a lot, already a lot of discussion and anticipation about um, 
a special uh, summit level meeting on Myanmar to take place. And again, uh, with the appointment of the national unity government, there were also a lot of, uh, I think, uh, desire expressed uh, by the protesters, by the forces for democracy, uh, for the NUG to to have a space at at the ASEAN leaders meeting. But uh, well, we all know what happened on the 24th of April. Um, it was called the ASEAN leaders meeting on Myanmar, uh, which um, issued the five point consensus uh, on Myanmar which uh, Senior General May Online, representing the State Administration Council uh, sitting there uh, at the uh, meeting in Jakarta, agreed to. He did not object. And of course, uh, no objection uh, means agreement. And and that, that five-point consensus uh, then uh, was supposed to become the basis of how uh, ASEAN's uh, intervention in Myanmar would progress, uh, requiring... Uh, Myanmar, in particular, the State Administration Council's um, cooperation and uh, agreement to uh, to uh, collab- cooperate with the uh, agree uh, with a five point consensus, shall I say? Um, but um, very soon after that uh, ASEAN leaders meeting, uh, we were seeing um, news reports in uh, Myanmar state media that the State Administration Council had tried to qualify. Uh, their view of the uh, five-point consensus and uh, really uh, saying things such as, um, of course, you know, all these things can happen only when stability returns to the country and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, their definition of uh, when stability returns and what uh, constitutes law and order uh, really was uh, something that they would be equating with um, their being able to establish control over the country, which to this point, more than six months after the coup, they have not been able to do so. Protests have continued. Um, and uh, it's interesting that since the ASEAN leaders meeting in April, uh, one of the priorities in the five-point consensus called for immediate cessation of violence. In fact, um, incidents of violence actually increased after 24th of April. And, uh, you know, the the um, the, uh, the AAP the AAPB, uh, which is the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners, which regularly tracks um, the numbers of people who have either been killed or arrested. As of yesterday, you know, the, the number of people who have died since the coup, who have been killed, um, killed because of the coup in relation to the coup, that's already passed the 1000 mark. It's, it's 1,014 as of uh, 24th of August. And the total number of people who have been arrested is over 7,400, of which over 5,800 are still in detention. So that that is, uh, you know, the kind of uh, the, the picture that we have uh, when it comes to, you know, the situation in Myanmar on the ground. And um, the... Uh, the, the National Unity Government actually announced uh, the People's Defense Forces on the 5th of May um, as, as a precursor to, to this uh, federal army that they, they wanted to uh, uh, establish uh, according to the Federal Democracy Charter Roadmap. And um, they started, the National Unity Government started also trying to uh, engage in discussion with the ethnic armed organizations who have continued uh, in various um forms uh, to to uh, to engage in armed conflict with the Myanmar military. So really, I mean, all this was going on at a time when uh, protests uh, across uh, the country uh, were taking place uh, against the coup. And um, the 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 visit then uh, by uh, the second minister for foreign affairs of Brunei, uh, Dato Erwan Behin Yusuf, um, together with the ASEAN secretary general, uh, to Nepido, to Myanmar, uh, in June, I think was also met with a lot of uh, skepticism uh, by uh, the Myanmar public, which again uh, felt that uh, ASEAN uh, needed to talk to all key stakeholders, uh, as uh, also highlighted in the five-point consensus. And of course, uh, now with the appointment of uh, Dato Erewan, as the ASEAN Special Envoy uh, recently at the um, ASEAN Ministerial Meeting just held um, in uh, uh, earlier in August this year. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, if you if you ask me about how the, um, the, the, the average Myanmar citizen 
or even Myanmar intellectuals, uh, I think, in the country uh, are thinking, viewing and uh, feeling um, the, the, the way that uh, ASEAN's response has been to the situation in Myanmar since February the 1st, um, there's, there's quite a, a high level of cynicism. Uh, there are a lot of negative attitudes. And um, I, I think, you know, I think this is the, the first time I've ever seen an instance of protesters in an ASEAN member state burning the ASEAN flag. That happened in June. So... Mm-hmm. So I think you know this is this is the landscape that we see uh, I think in Myanmar vis-a-vis uh, ASEAN's uh, response, ASEAN's efforts to uh, implement or start implementing the five-point consensus, and of course uh, through all this since its formation, the National Unity Government has been sending letters to ASEAN to the ASEAN Chair, uh, asking uh, for its voice to be heard for for its. Uh, for it to be able to, uh, you know, give give their views, present their views, um, but uh, as as uh, as you know, as Sharon knows, as most of us who are following these developments know, uh, currently it is the SAC that dominates the um, the Myanmar seat um, at the uh, ASEAN table. I'll stop here. I'm sorry if I've gone on too long, but you know, uh, talking about my country and what's happening in Myanmar always um, brings up all these uh, emotions. Uh, thanks a lot, Mo. That was a very masterful kind of uh, overview of what has happened in, in Myanmar since February. Um, I'll, I'll just kind of highlight some of the key points that uh, you have listed. There is an, in, in April, there was a five-point consensus, but even with the five-point consensus, the protests have continued. And basically what you have, you have highlighted is that since the coup uh, in February to 24th of August, there has been a thousand and fourteen deaths related to protests, and which were essentially put down uh, by the military. So one thousand and fourteen deaths, seven thousand detentions, of which fifty eight hundred people are, are still in detention. And of course, the the very kind of heartbreaking image of this uh, protesters in Myanmar asking. ASEAN to take action and growing cynicism and, and negative attitudes towards ASEAN. Of, and of course, uh, what, what is a very sorry sight of Myanmar protesters burning uh, the ASEAN flag. So I wouldn't call this the most salubrious environment uh, for kind of the special envoy uh, to tackle. But I think we need to kind of return to First principles, I think you, you ended your, your remarks by saying that whereas the, the NUG has written letters to the ASEAN chair asking for the views of the National Unity Government to be heard, uh, it seems that it appears to us and it appears to most observers of ASEAN in the region and outside the region that the SAC is dominating the kind of interactions with ASEAN at the moment. So I'm going to I, I'm going to ask pitch this question to Sharon first, and then Mo can can answer subsequent to Sharon. But essentially, Sharon, what do you think about kind of this environment that uh, Dato Erwan is is coming into, and what are kind of the challenges and opportunities that he faces? I'm going to highlight actually two points from the five point consensus. The the second point being there needs to be constructive dialogue among all parties concerned and you need to commence a peaceful solution in the interest of the people. That's point two. Point five says that the special envoy and delegation shall visit Myanmar to meet with all parties concerned. So looking at the text, all parties concerned is mentioned twice. So, but... In reality, it seems like the SAC is dominating the kind of official interactions with ASEAN. So maybe you want to kind of start your answers based on that. Right. Thanks, William. And thanks, Mo, for the very comprehensive uh, overview of what's happened since February. Even though it's only been six months, a lot has happened in that time. Uh, Before I begin, I think we mustn't see the five-point consensus as a checklist that needs to be checked off. That would be very wrong. 
The five-point consensus is a starting point. It's a package deal that goes in and enables ASEAN to find a way out uh, for Myanmar. But alongside with that, in tandem, other efforts should also carry on. For instance, efforts by the UN and other non-governmental groups. So if we were to see the five-point consensus as a checklist, then, you know, appointment done, right? The next thing, humanitarian assistance, check off. Visit to Myanmar, check off. Then what's left? It is a very long process towards uh, reconciliation in the country. We're talking about decades, and it should be a process that, you know, everyone in ASEAN must be vested in and be prepared to put substantial resources and time to go in there and do this work. Now back to uh, His Excellency Dato everyone's visit. Uh, it would be fair to say that the disillusionment amongst people in Myanmar and even outside of Myanmar is palpable. Um, looking at the speed of things, I think there were certain expectations that uh, the, the chair's envoy would be appointed uh, earlier than August. There were certain expectations that, you know, dialogue channels would have opened up uh, officially. But unfortunately, uh, these expectations were not met. Uh, nonetheless, you know, he, he has a job to do. And uh, I think coming from a state's point of view, the SAC dominating the landscape is not at all surprising because if you take the effective control test, clearly the territory, uh, the, the entity that holds control over the territory, over its population, is the SAC. So they are a party that he cannot ignore. He has to continually engage with them. But at the same time, uh, he's also aware that he has to engage with other entities outside of the SAC. That includes NLD, the Ethnic Armed Organizations, um, the CDM, the NUG, sorry, too many acronyms, but <laughs> these are the various parties that need to be engaged with. Um, so starting from that, I think um, he, the special envoy is cognizant that the constructive dialogue that has to be started cannot be lopsided with only the SAC. It has to be with other parties as well. Um, I think I'll just stop here and wait for your other questions, William. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that, Sharon. Mo, would you have any comments to, to add? And that's uh, the, the point being that uh, even though... Uh, the Dato Erwan is supposed to engage with the all parties concerned. Uh, at the moment, is the SAC which which actually has effective control uh, of of the country. So it makes the kind of the going on the ground quite difficult for the special envoy going forward. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Will, and uh, thanks, Sharon, uh, for for you know giving that that uh, broad ASEAN framework uh, reminder. Um. You know, if, if, if we talk about control, right, seven months into this coup, um, I would argue that the military doesn't have control because, you know, a majority of the over 300 townships in Myanmar, you know, there are, there are protests, there are anti-coup protests going on. And I think the uh, brutality with which the um, security forces have uh, tried to repress these uh, protests, which were unarmed, um, since February, I think has fueled the anger. Hence, uh, when the National Unity Government uh, announced the uh, establishment of the People's Defense Forces, uh, this was actually, I think, something that the people of Myanmar um, are, are, are qualifying as, you know, nobody's uh, helping us and therefore we have to take um, our protection into our own hands, uh, th this kind of sentiment. But, you know, that's what's existing on the ground in Myanmar. Um, I've always tried to um, explain, uh, if you will, uh, whenever uh, we talk about ASEAN in the Myanmar context to many of my Myanmar interlocutors, that uh, this is a process. And it's, it's not supposed to be a one-off. Thank you, Sharon, for reminding that. I mean, the, the, the five-point consensus is actually supposed to be uh, the, the, the beginning of that long, uh, you know, work-in-progress type of journey for ASEAN to really help Myanmar and her people recover uh, from this very uh, 
harsh blow that has been dealt to them since the 1st of February. So, uh, to, you know, the, the, the point about engaging all parties is, uh, is mainly that. I mean, it's all parties. Yes. So I think while there is, uh, this, this kind of recognition that, yes, uh, you know, the, the SAC having, um, Seize power, uh, sitting there in Naypyidaw in the seat of power, and and trying to assert its control. Yes, of course, ASEAN needs to talk to to uh, this this entity uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, to establish uh, the accountability. But at the same time, um, the 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 need to get the views of what uh, are the uh, other key stakeholders' um, uh, inputs to it, desires and expectations, I think is. Uh, is equally important because um, what happened on February the first uh, is not the um, is not it, it did not happen overnight. The causes were not something that that were short term or overnight. Uh, it's it's a whole uh, kind of complex series of uh, legacies, historical uh, tragedies, the impact of those that that really have uh, kind of combined into this uh, into this uh, situation that we see right now, and therefore. Any solution to help Myanmar get back uh, towards that trajectory uh, that it was on uh, as at uh, 31st of uh, January 2021 uh, will also uh, not be an overnight matter. And, um, you know, with the, with the, with the global situation being as it is now, uh, even I, I think, uh, with, with the, uh, you know, as, as Sharon has highlighted, you know, other efforts by uh, the, by international organizations like the United Nations and all of that, it I, I think it's still um, important that we all um, we all understand and and realize or recognize that the the kind of primary uh, task or responsibility, if you will, to bear is still ASEAN's. Uh, because even at the United Nations level, uh, I think there was a decision made uh, some years back, and Sharon, correct me if I'm wrong, um, to to really devolve the responsibility of managing uh, regional uh, matters and developments to the regional organizations of of those you know different uh, regionals uh, regions you know uh, representing them as a collective whole, um, and and that was I think uh, in in the nature of also uh, realizing what the the UN's uh, I think uh, limitations might be uh, as 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 uh, you know a global uh, international organization comprising many members, and and in that sense I think um, that is why uh, there's a lot of attention on on what ASEAN is doing, what ASEAN has done, and what ASEAN is going to do. Uh, with regard to uh, uh, engaging, engaging, uh, it's it, you know, Myanmar, and uh, yeah, there there are all these different entities which I think uh, which will seem quite confusing to to say someone who who started getting interested in Myanmar uh, since February the first. Um, so the the committee representing the people's the 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 or crph are the parliamentarians who formed the national unity government the nug but under the federal democracy charter that they have uh, uh, announced uh, they uh, on on that political roadmap the nug is meant to be an interim entity uh, that will try to uh, uh, work with the the other uh, key stakeholders in Myanmar towards realizing this this political vision and roadmap uh, towards a federal democratic union. So there is supposed to be a National Unity Consultative Council or NUCC uh, that will be the platform where the NUG can engage with the many the several ethnic armed organizations uh, who are also uh, engaged in um, in armed conflict, who have been engaged in armed conflict, uh, several of them, uh, with the military for decades, um, as well as participants in the civil disobedience movement and civil society organizations. Because, you know, as much as we also uh, tend to view this from outside Myanmar as, as something between the SAC and the NUG uh, as, um, as, as a kind of like a representative whole, but also very much uh, with the uh, input uh, and participation of the National League for Democracy, the NLD, the deposed uh, ruling party. There are also many voices in Myanmar who may not necessarily subscribe to uh, the NLD as as the political leading force, but nevertheless are very much, uh, very much uh, dedicated and determined uh, to to uh, not subject themselves to 
uh, uh, yet another spell of military rule. So I think it's really to uh, be able to talk to this whole spectrum of uh, of groups which uh, have one overarching objective, of course, in the context of the coup, but also have uh, their different views and so on. So um, I would, I think I would try to continue keeping a closer look at the National Unity Consultative Council, NUCC, uh, as we go forward. Thanks a lot, Mo. That was, that was again, a, a very good overview on all the... Uh the acronyms uh, that, you know, observers interested in Myanmar since the 1st of February uh, would want to look at that the CRPG is, you know, led to the NUG and the NUG is part of the federal roadmap towards the NUCC, you know, and and, and all that. So that's that's really interesting. Um, but I, I, I think to, to just bring us back to the original point about the mission of Dato Erwan. Um, I think the Singapore Foreign Minister, Vivian Palakrishnan, was uh, quoted in a news report saying that he, he hopes that there will be progress to report uh, on the Special Envoy's uh, mission to Myanmar. And he hopes that this progress report will occur before the ASEAN's Leader Summit in November. So Minister Balakrishna also cautioned that the, the Myanmar military would have to grant the, the envoy access to all stakeholders for the visit to be meaningful. So again, you know, that this point about the envoy being granted access to all stakeholders, and that, that of course, that will mean the NUG, you know, even, you know, the, the, uh, the ethnic armed organizations or any other entities that are involved in Myanmar's politics besides the SAC. So there are also reports uh, more about how Dr. Erwan might not be so keen on actually uh, engaging with the NUG. So perhaps you want to shed light on, on, on these two points, uh, the progress report uh, that the envoy is supposed to, to make before November and two, kind of his inclinations as to meeting out with all stakeholders. Mo? Oh, uh, it's, it's me again. Sorry, I seem to be um, hogging the microphone. Um, it would be great to hear views from Sharon about how, um, how the ASEAN uh, reporting process might be also with regard to uh, the work that the special envoy uh, now has to undertake um, for this mandate on Myanmar within the five-point consensus. But um, I, I think, um, uh, you know, there are ways and means beyond in-person meetings to carry this out. There are several ASEAN governments who have been in communication with the NUG and before the NUG, the CRPH, uh, since early on, since the earlier weeks and months of the coup. And, and, and that is not unknown, I believe, to the... Um, to the military. So, you know, meeting with all key stakeholders, I think um, if the pandemic has uh, brought any ease to communication, it is this um, means of the digital platform using technology um, to, to hold conversations, to have meetings across borders, across time zones. And, and that is, uh, I think, one way in which uh, the special envoy can start trying to reach out to um, these different uh, stakeholders in Myanmar who are also key to the um, to the anti-coup uh, to the anti-coup movement. Um, so, so I think that's uh, I think that's that's the kind of uh, the view that or, or the suggestion that I would have. And uh, earlier on, I, I mentioned the National Unity Consultative Council as as a possible uh, you know platform that could probably bring together more of those key stakeholders other than the military mm. to have uh, this uh, consultative uh, engagement or dialogue um, with with the envoy. So I think these are, these are I, I think, opportunities, um, possibilities that the uh, envoy will need to explore um, in carrying out his uh, mandate uh, to, to, to start really uh, talking to, again, if we refer back to the five-point consensus, all parties concerned. Um, and... Um, in my view, you know, uh, consultation comes before dialogue. 
So mm. it really is right now, right now that time to start all those conversations before any kind of constructive dialogue can be facilitated or mediated by the envoy um, among all these uh, key stakeholders around the table. Because right now, right, uh, the, the military has said they don't want to talk to the NUG. Um, the NUG is, uh, you know, they've declared uh, the military a terrorist organization. And, and it's kind of that scenario where, where really ASEAN's role, the envoy's role is to to really, I, I think, you know, get their views and then try to find where, where are those uh, maybe constructive or, you know, a kind of a common objectives on which ASEAN can try to, to uh, you know, put its, um, put its uh, collaborative imprint, so to speak. Um, and 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 start those individual conversations first. Uh, that that's what I would uh, highlight. And and of course, you know, um, I think since um, since April, the violence uh, by the military has not stopped, and and now there are the um, the PDF militia, as well as the ongoing clashes with the ethnic armed organizations. So um, the the killings, uh, I think, the number of killings have decreased. But the number of arrests did not, and that that's what's uh, contributed to those high numbers that you were citing earlier, William. Uh, just as an aside. Thanks a lot, Mo. I, I and I think uh, you know, obviously, we are letting you hog the mic simply because you you are the subject area expert here. So, uh, but uh, of course, now we will kind of move the mic over to Sharon. I think one point that Mo was highlighting is that and you were highlighting earlier is that the five-point consensus is but a way, a kind of a way map, kind of a, uh, a path to more things to come. And Mo was highlighting the point that, you know, there are other ways to, to establish contact with stakeholders in Myanmar and ASEAN. Some ASEAN governments actually have been doing that and, and they have been exploiting kind of dig digital platforms to, to engage uh, with stakeholders in Myanmar. So perhaps you want to bring us back to, you know, some of the ASEAN processes that, that could happen to kind of facilitate the, you know, the to kind of smooth things over or make things easier for the special envoy as he prepares to, to visit Myanmar. What, what are some of the things that ASEAN can actually do to, to actually facilitate his, his uh, expected uh, visit to Myanmar in the coming months? Well, like, like what Mo said, technology has really helped all of us bring us all closer together. And I understand from sources that uh, the various entities and stakeholders of Myanmar have been reaching out to the ASEAN Secretariat and through to the ASEAN Secretary General as well as to the Foreign Minister himself. So for all we know, these conversations may already be happening in the background. But uh, of course, it, it is not spoken of uh, publicly. Um, so in that sense, it would actually work to the special envoy's advantage if there were some kind of a communications, regular communications to the people who are interested and in, in watching this development to know, you know what kind of progress has been made. Uh, second thing that the special envoy has to do, of course, is to you know ready... Uh, the assistance, the humanitarian assistance as part of the five-point consensus uh, to get through to Myanmar through the AHA center. Uh, and that that the delivery of the assistance has to be very well planned, coordinated and executed so that it makes sure that you know the assistance that's needed goes to the right people who deserve it and who need it the most. Um, that that would be critical. And of course, securing that list of people to meet. I think that should be the special voice topmost priority, uh, where you know he has to basically come from a position of neutrality and to be seen as engaging with all parties. Um, in terms of processes going forward, understand that uh, the ASEAN foreign ministers actually traditionally do meet at, in New York uh, at the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly. And the United Nations General Assembly is slated to open on the 14th of September. So if a visit uh, were to take place before the 14th of September, it would give the ASEAN foreign ministers an opportunity to have a discussion in New York if they were all attending. If not, certainly a hybrid arrangement can be made where they can exchange views and, and uh, you know, offer some recommendations to the special envoy. 
And at this same meeting, there's also usually an ASEAN UN meeting that takes place. I believe that would be a, an equally important meeting for ASEAN and the UN to, you know, together uh, map out a strategy on, uh, for instance, delivering humanitarian assistance with the help of uh, the UN and engaging the UN in this process. Uh, thanks, Sharon. So the you're talking about an kind of an ASEAN uh, meeting at the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly in New York uh, come 14th of September, possibly uh, ASEAN United Nations uh, meeting. And I'm going to pick from, at this point, I'm going to pick up a point that Mo made about uh, the United Nations actually devolving a, a lot of the management of what's happening in Myanmar to ASEAN. Mm -hmm. And we've already seen that even with uh, important uh, powers, external powers like the United States. I mean, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, when she was in Singapore earlier this week, she she would say she said that it's uh it's sad to see what's happening in Myanmar, and she hopes the United States hopes that Myanmar will return to the path of democracy. But she squarely laid the kind of responsibility of managing. Uh, the the conflict uh, in in Myanmar at, at the feet of ASEAN, but just just talking about just bring it back a bit like in terms of external powers like the United States, China, maybe India, you know other other kind of interested countries that have a stake in Myanmar, is could they actually do anything that that will kind of move the needle uh kind of improve what is happening on the ground is there anything they can do to actually assist myanmar at their primary responsibility of restoring some form of stability in myanmar sharon william i don't want to answer that question <laughs> but i have to uh, I, I want to address the point uh, of what uh vice president harris made uh, which is really the general consensus in the international community because when you see the UNGA vote in June, the one where 119 countries voted in favour uh, to one, in the resolution itself, it states very clearly that um, the central role of the ASEAN, of ASEAN and the constructive engagement remains with ASEAN. And uh, clearly that's the consensus of the international community now that, you know, all the other side engagements international community members will play a supporting role. ASEAN plays this central role in, you know, as a pathfinder, as a way of going in uh, to Myanmar and starting the whole process. Mo, do you have kind of any comments to add on that? I mean, it's, uh, understandably, you know, the, the UNGA has laid the responsibility squarely at uh, ASEAN's feet. But do you think that it, in this case, there's anything that, you know, countries like China, countries like India and the United States, even the European Union can bring to the table. Right. Um, I, I think, okay, uh, it's not the United Nations General Assembly that has laid the responsibility at ASEAN's feet. Um, I was referring to a decision that was made some years back where basically the, the, the United Nations agreed that for, for developments, for matters arising in different regions of the world, the regional organization that collectively that repre represents collectively that region and what's happening uh, would kind of be the primary uh, responder, so to speak. Uh, to deal with those matters. Of course, you know, when it comes to uh, really important issues that uh, that relate to peace and stability and, and, um, and, and human rights violations and all of that, of course, there is still the United Nations Security Council. But so it was in that context of, of that overall decision by the UN that uh, regional organizations around the globe would be the primary uh, sort of responders, if you will, uh, to, to uh, developments that are happening in their respective regions. So it's in this context that I think uh, everyone uh, is looking to ASEAN, uh, was looking to ASEAN since February the 1st and continue to look to ASEAN uh, up to now with regard to what it can do. And because um, the focus is on ASEAN, um, as, 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 as Sharon has highlighted also, you know, um, to be the main uh, kind of a coordinator or, or, you know, the, the, the platform, the 
through which uh, all these efforts need to come through. Uh, that's that's uh, I think how we need to to look at ASEAN's role as well. Um, and uh, you know the United Nations, the United States, China, the EU, um, India, Japan. Uh, all of these countries are dialogue partners of ASEAN. So it is natural also that um, di- as dialogue partners of ASEAN. They would also, these countries would also, I, I think, uh, you know, view or, or, or start, uh, you know, I think, uh, discussing, providing assistance, uh, for what's happening in Myanmar for the Myanmar people through, um, what they perceive as ASEAN's uh, coordinating role. And that harks back to the regional diplomacy that ASEAN managed to, uh, broker way back in 2008, where, you know, ASEAN quite bluntly talked to the the representative of the military regime at that time that either you know you have the option to go with the UN or the option to go with ASEAN or the the ASEAN nine uh, nine ASEAN member states will just you know take a step back and let the uh, the responsibility to protect R2P process take over uh, whether or not um, uh, the the authorities then in Myanmar liked it or not, and that was uh, quite bluntly. Those three options were quite bluntly put to to Myanmar uh, in the wake of uh, Cyclone Nagis, where Myanmar was accepting, I think, bilateral offers of um, humanitarian assistance, but uh, basically blocking offers from the international humanitarian community. So I think ASEAN's value here, when and when we look at uh, the the fourth point in the five point consensus about providing humanitarian assistance, if ASEAN ASEAN can can try to uh, to provide that coordinating platform and and uh, ensure that the the much needed assistance and right now Myanmar is still going through uh, this very devastating third wave of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, so if 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 ASEAN's uh, coordinating presence um, and and interfacing with with the military who who sits in Nebidor and and what tries to assert its control. Uh, if ASEAN can can really uh you know provide that uh, assurance uh, that Myanmar people communities across the country will be able to receive that much needed humanitarian assistance medical assistance and support um, that they need I think that's that's the kind of you know a plus point uh, if you will. Hmm. Thanks. Thanks a lot, uh, Mo. Uh, that gives us a really good way of kind of shifting the topic of discussion to the people that matter the most um, in this Myanmar situation with, of course, the, the ordinary uh, citizens and people of Myanmar. So you, you spoke about earlier about, you know, the protests and how some of them have been detained and some have even, have even lost their lives as a result of the protests. So maybe now we want to shift to kind of, it, in your view more, like what's, what's the general sentiment among people in Myanmar towards ASEAN right now? And so what, what's the kind of the sentiment and actually what do they expect ASEAN to do, given that ASEAN now has the primary responsibility to, to kind of manage and shape this, the, the current situation? And I'll, I'll let Mo kind of handle this question first and Sharon, if she has any comments. Mo? Wow, okay. Um, you know, if it comes to, okay, what do the people in Myanmar think about ASEAN or how do they view ASEAN? I think I mentioned earlier, um, the view on the ground is, is pretty negative and cynical. Um, and, and I'm always reminded, you know, when we used to do these awareness surveys, right, in, in the wake of the Saffron Revolution in 2007, um, young people's attitudes then towards ASEAN were really split between wanting to, um, to believe in, in ASEAN's, uh, you know, coordinating, collaborative uh, kind of uh, thrust, as opposed to uh, ASEAN's inability to um, to to in the intervene uh, in 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 the uh, in the in the in the in the crisis that happened um, with the military suppressing the peaceful protests um, led by monks. Uh, in 2007. Incidentally, that was the first time that ASEAN used a really strong, uh, strong language in, um, in the talking about the situation in Myanmar, uh, using the word revulsed. 
at, at the military's actions at the time. And that's, that's the strongest language that ASEAN has used with regard to um, military uh, responses to peaceful protests. So, so you know, from, from that kind of, uh, uh, I, I think, a cynical, skeptical attitude in 2007, as Myanmar opened up and, and you know, started stepping firmly more and more onto uh, the road towards a democratic transition, um, views and attitudes uh, towards ASEAN in Myanmar also started to, uh, you know, track the um, ASEAN positive attitudes that we could normally see in the newer members of ASEAN. And, and that was kind of like at its highest uh, around the time that uh, Myanmar uh, took up its ASEAN chairmanship. So, you know, for, for me, I mean, I've, I've, I've always been, uh, been, been looking at um, ASEAN and Myanmar. And, and what I'm seeing now, what I worry now is uh, that uh, there will be very, uh, there will be, I think, a whole generation of uh, young people uh, growing up with uh, very cynical, negative uh, type of attitudes and uh, very low expectations of what ASEAN can do. And what ASEAN has been able to do, as I uh, highlighted earlier on, was in the context of bringing humanitarian assistance and support to communities in need. Of course, the situation right now is very different from 2008. You know, let's, let's be clear about that. It's not 2008. But what can we learn? I mean, if ASEAN can break through to... Uh, to the military that aid and assistance should be provided regardless of you know whether these communities are in support of or against the military that that message that strong clear message needs to be sent and i think the the, the entity most able to i think reinforce and send this message would be asean mainly because it has been cast into this role of 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 being the interlocutor with the sac uh, whether it is palatable or not. Um, and uh, we also need to look here, and this is where we bring in that thing about consulting and, and talking to uh, you know key stakeholders, all parties concerned, because the national unity government has uh, issued a policy on COVID-19 response and has established a task force. And there are uh, quite a network of uh, health clinics by uh, the ethnic armed organizations, uh, say in Kachin and in the Karen areas, and and you know, I think this is where uh, working with uh, different parties and not just through say one state entity, for example, would really be to ASEAN's advantage. There's a lot happening along uh, uh, along the uh, the areas that are in the Thai Myanmar border, but we also need to look at um, the the Myanmar India border because uh, there 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 is land access and um, you know uh, crossing over, and therefore uh, if cases come in or if there are uh, you know. Uh, cases, infections going on uh, as a result of that. So I think we need to look at it in, in that context as well um, of um, what kind of additional, I, I think, support that ASEAN can bring uh, for Myanmar's COVID-19 response, including vaccinations. Uh, I think as of now, uh, less than 5% of the uh, country's population has been vaccinated. And a lot of people uh, are still hesitating, mainly because uh, many feel that uh, they do not want to uh, add to uh, any pronouncements that the uh, SAC might wish to make with regard to its ability to to govern by 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 you know having having this COVID nineteen response, but at the same time also because of uh, uh, the the the, uh, the the type of uh, vaccines that are available and uh, people's needs being acute. So you know these are some of uh, I, I think. Um, uh, the, the possibilities or the opportunities that we need to look at. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, Mo, about ASEAN kind of telling the SAC that whether communities are supportive of the military or not, that aid and assistance will be rendered uh, to such communities and how you actually can work around the SAC by, you know, working with the ethnic arm organizations and their health clinics uh, in terms of health and and COVID response. Sharon, do you have any comments to add to that? I think it's very important that the humanitarian assistance to Myanmar is not politicized. Uh, in, in a way that, like what Mo said, you know, who, who gets to receive it, who doesn't get to receive it, that's already politicizing it. And um, 
in terms of delivering the aid, you know, it should be through multi-stakeholders and not just through one central funneling channel because that increases the risk of certain communities not getting the kind of aid that's uh, required. And also there's now talk about direct cross-border assistance by the neighbouring countries. It's certainly in the neighbouring countries' um, interest to extend that assistance first, you know, in, whereby you can vaccinate the people at the edges and then create the, the buffer zone between uh, you know, the, the bigger population and your own population. So, so they could do it as well. And I hope that it's done with coordination, of course, with ASEAN, uh, so that you know, it all comes together as one comprehensive uh, and holistic approach towards uh, giving aid to Myanmar, whether in terms of COVID or just general assistance in terms of giving uh, food, blankets and things like that. Mm. Thanks for that, Sharon. I think one, one kind of thread, one common thread that I can discern through our discussion so far is that that the special envoy is tasked to kind of execute on the ground, the five-point consensus that was arrived at in April. But I, I think in Singapore, that there's a, there's a kind of a saying that, you know, when you can't do things by right, you go by left. As in, if you can't do things formally, you try to find ways, creative ways to get around the problem and, and solve the problem. So what I'm seeing here is that, you know, uh, although ASEAN is formally supposed to communicate with the SAC, uh, some ASEAN governments are actually, you know, having kind of informal consultations uh, with various entities in Myanmar, and this is thanks to COVID and the digital platforms that we are using. And, you know, ASEAN can always tell the SAC that regardless of whether these communities support the junta, we will deliver aid to them, you know, and, and there are creative ways of actually skinning the cat. So these health clinics that Mo was talking about. So I, I think this is a point that perhaps should be kind of suggested or proposed to to the special envoy that you know they are they are you know they are creative ways of actually uh tackling the problem you know so to 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 come up with viable solutions because in the end you you the people that need to be served here are the ordinary people on the ground you know they are they are they well, yes, they are worried about the political situation and what happens at the national level. But on, on a day-to-day -day basis, I, I don't want to bring in this analogy here, but there's another big country that in, in the past 10 days have also seen a lot of political turmoil in Afghanistan. And kind of the same but different in the same that there's a lot of political instability, but there are a lot of ordinary people who cannot carry on lives as per usual, right? They cannot go to the bank, they cannot go to work, they, they are short of food, they have lost income, and they are worried as to repercussions depending on which part of the political spectrum um, they belong to. So, so that's, I think that's a point that uh, we have arrived at collectively, is that we need to find creative solutions. Now, I'm, I'm going to kind of wrap up soon, but my last question to both Sharon and Mo is that so between now August the 25th and and November you know the 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 this planned trip by special envoy everyone is going to happen so what do you think are some of the highlights that or kind of the milestones that we should be looking for or what do you think are some of the unexpected surprises uh, you know that we should be looking out for uh, before November. I'll start with Sharon first and then we'll... Okay, um, the first thing I think it's, that's going to happen on the international stage is uh, the United Nations Credentials Committee will meet in September. And I think those of you who have been following the news know that the current incumbent ambassador, Ambassador Chomotun, uh, has openly declared his support for the NUG and he's been removed from his post and the military is appointing their own person. And that's going to be uh, very interesting to watch because it depends on what the nine-member United Nations Credentials Committee say and what they will recommend. It could possibly lead to a vote in the UNGA. And um, we don't know how countries will vote, but if the June vote was any indication, uh, they could well 
votes to uh, keep ambassador or leave the seat empty as it has done before for other countries. Um, and then beyond that, uh, I think the credentials committee decision will also uh, sort of inform other countries' decisions on the reappointment of Myanmar ambassadors to their uh, to the post, uh, the accepting the credentials of other Myanmar ambassadors that have been appointed by the military. So the the UN movements there will will be quite telling uh, for other countries and you know. Uh, maybe influence their decisions as uh, to so the accreditation of the ambassadors to their country. Um, yeah, so hopefully there will be a visit that will materialize, and of course, top of the, we'll be watching for who, um, who the minister gets to meet uh, in Myanmar. That will be also again revealing of whether he has indeed uh, been given access to all parties uh, in Myanmar. Um, but also going forward in terms of the official meetings, I think it, it's become quite untenable to just maintain a business as usual uh, kind of scenario whereby you, you speak to each other as if nothing has happened. I think ASEAN has got to take a decision you know, as to what to do. I mentioned in a commentary written earlier about uh, several legal documents that are pending uh, in for the ASEAN summit to look over and it really does have an impact you know as to how they regard Myanmar and what what they should do with these documents uh, in which Myanmar is a party to uh, so these decisions must be made sooner rather than later because it impacts the workings of uh, Myanmar as well as all the other countries that engage with Myanmar. That's all for me, William. Thank you. Thanks for that, Sharon Mo. Yes, uh, I completely agree with uh, what Sharon has highlighted. I mean, basically, um, what's happening in Myanmar is is definitely uh, not normal, not business as usual. And, and past precedents of how ASEAN in the past has engaged with Myanmar uh, probably do not fully apply or cannot apply here because the situation is, is quite different. Um, I think people on the ground in Myanmar at various levels are also looking very closely at um, what's going to happen in New York with the uh, Credentials Committee uh, decision and outcomes. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of... Um, uh, online campaigns, movements, and uh, support movements going on uh, to to uh, to 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 support uh, the the NUG's uh, representation of Ambassador John Moton's continued accreditation at the United Nations. So I think there's a lot of uh, interest uh, around that particular uh, development uh, to happen in in September. At New York, and again, uh, as Sharon has highlighted, if the earlier uh, vote uh, pattern from the, uh, the the UN General Assembly uh, resolution passed earlier on Myanmar is any indication, I think that's that's what um, a lot of uh, people uh, in Myanmar are also uh, looking at. So, so um, again, uh, this this I think really um, brings up the the uh, the question of you know, do do we all have to 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 go in as uh, one entity, or do we also uh, look at different creative ways of engaging uh, bilaterally, albeit under the broad ASEAN framework on, and the uh, adhering to the ASEAN priorities and principles to reach whoever we can? I mean, basically, the United States, the EU—they've all announced and committed certain amounts of funding for. Uh, for the people of Myanmar, for helping the people of Myanmar. And they work through international organizations, civil society organizations, and so on. So I think, again, um, if I have to bring up the, the points I made earlier about, you know, knowing who you're going to talk to in Myanmar and who can deliver these kinds of assistance and, uh, you know, interventions effectively on the ground to the communities in need. It, of course, it's not just the ethnic armed organizations, health clinics network. I mean, uh, the NLD's COVID-19 response um, has given the, um, uh, the the primary coordinating responsibility to Dr. Cynthia Mao 
school's clinic on the Thai Myanmar border has been in operation for the past 30 years, doing a lot of great work for the people uh, along those border areas. And there are many uh, civil society organizations on the ground in Myanmar uh, who can also help to uh, bring those, uh, you know, necessary assistance and support uh, to communities in need. And they've been doing so amidst all these, uh, you know, uh, uh, fear of arrest and detentions, braving, braving those arrests and detentions in trying to get support to a lot of people in the country right now, um, you know, who've, who've lost their jobs and means of livelihoods because they participated in the civil disobedience movement or, or just mainly purely because the whole... Um, logistics supply chain and economic infrastructure is crumbling and and you know there are there are these people uh, you might recall um you know at the height of the covid-19 pandemic uh similar to what happened in malaysia there was also a kind of yellow flag uh, movement in myanmar but it's mostly i think in the urban areas i didn't detect a nationwide movement where Consoles in need of medical assistance put out a yellow flag, but yellow and white flags sewn together indicated that they were in need of both medical and food assistance. So again, the World Food Program has highlighted the kind of a precarity with which a lot of households are, are facing their food security needs. And, and I think these are important points that I think um, an organization like ASEAN and its member states can pick up uh, with regard to what can be done for the people of Myanmar uh, for the immediate and short term, and then work work on that uh, intergovernmental process of of um, engaging with uh, key stakeholders over the medium and longer terms. Thanks a lot, Mo, and thanks a lot, Sharon, for those very insightful comments. I think we've really gone over the time that we want we've allocated for this podcast. But what 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 a tour the horizon we've we've done on on the issue of Myanmar, five-point consensus, the factual envoy, the different entities and acronyms involved in Myanmar's political landscape and ending with kind of the UN Credentials Committee and then the creative ways in which the United States and European Union are trying to funnel kind of money and aid to, to on-the-ground organizations like, like the one that you mentioned by, I hope I got the name right, Dr. Cynthia Mong. Uh, at the Thai Myanmar border, so that's fascinating, and that's enough material actually for another podcast. But uh, in in the meantime, I, I think we've 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 covered a lot of ground. So I I really want to thank Sharon and and Mo for this time for for this podcast, and I I hope this has been uh, a service to to the readers and listeners and Fulcrum, and uh, we hope to see you again. Uh, at a subsequent forecast uh, podcast in in uh, weeks to come. Thank you very much. <laughs>